Amen. Amen. We are now going to turn to God's Word, um, and we're going to read from Psalm 13. Um, And if you're using one of the church Bibles, I think that's on page 548. And the words should appear as well on the screen behind me. So Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, It's really good to to see you here this morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Michael, and I have the privilege of serving as the associate pastor here at Strandtown. If you do have a Bible open in front of you, it'd be great if you could keep that open at Psalm 13 as we look at God's words together. But before we do that, let me pray for us. Let's ask for God's help as we read his words. Let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for this opportunity to gather, to worship you, to praise you, to thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you that you do speak to us through it by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so Lord, we pray now that as we open your word, would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Would you build us up so that we may become more faithful and obedient servants of the Lord Jesus? We ask all of this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Please wait. Your call is very important to us. Now, those are probably some of the most dreaded words in the English language, aren't they? Please wait. Your call is very important to us. I remember a couple of months ago, I was on the phone to my bank, and I was greeted with those words and had to listen to them for about 30 minutes before I was able to speak to someone on the other end of the line. Maybe you have had an even longer wait recently as you've taken uh, or had one of those calls, maybe waiting for 30 or 40 or uh, minutes or even longer. Please wait, your call is important to us. Now, there are lots of things in modern life that can sometimes wind us up, aren't there? But it's interesting that this uh, phenomenon of having to be put on hold to wait is the number one most annoying thing that we're greeted with. There was a a survey done by Barclays Bank a few years ago. It found out that ahead of traffic jams, ahead of even having your flight delayed, the number one most irritating thing that people found in terms of patience was being put on hold. And so I wonder this morning, what is the longest that you have ever had to wait being put on hold before receiving an answer? Was it an hour, maybe two hours? Well, I'm willing to guess 
that is probably not as long as this poor man, a man called Paul Donovan. He is from a town called Crook in County Durham. And a few years ago, he rang up BT, his broadband supplier, and he had to wait for a whopping 14 hours before he got to speak to someone at the other end of the line. He rang uh, BT in the evening, and he waited and waited until it got, presumably got to his bedtime, so he went to bed, but kept the phone on the call, and overnight he went to sleep and waited and waited, woke up the next morning, and still he was on hold. Eventually he got to speak to someone on the other end of the line, and it turned out that there was nobody in the office that day to answer him. 14 hours he waited. Now it's frustrating, isn't it, to have to wait for an answer from BT or whoever happens to be, Why? Well, because we feel like we're forgotten. We feel like nobody cares enough about us to even answer our phone call. But how much more painful, how much more frustrating is it when we feel like we're waiting on an answer from God? That is the situation that King David is addressing here in Psalm 13. He feels as if his life is on hold. Now, if you're with us last week, as Lee took us through Psalm 46, you'll know that the big message of that passage is that whatever you go through in life, God is with you. When you face calamity, when you feel as if the the mountains have fallen into the heart of the sea, even then, God is with you. When you face adversity, the greatest opponent that we have, the devil, even he is no match for God. He cannot defeat us because of the Holy Spirit who's living inside of us. And we know that God preserves us for eternity. Now, all of that is true. All of that is powerfully true. And yet, and yet, it doesn't always feel that way, does it? It doesn't always feel as if that is true. And that is the situation that is being addressed in Psalm 13 because David feels forgotten by God. And I think there's a lot for us here to learn this morning. Wherever you're at this morning in your walk with God, maybe as Chris read out those words from Psalm 13, for you, that feeling of feeling distant from God, that feeling of being able to resonate with those words, how long, oh Lord, maybe for you that's really fresh this morning. Over the last few weeks or months, you've been able to relate to David. Maybe for you this morning, you can look back to a moment in your life where you have felt like David is feeling. Where are you, God? Or maybe for you, you're here this morning and actually you're fortunate enough to think, well, I don't really know what that's like. I've never had a moment in my life where I've gone through such a period of suffering where I've asked those questions of God. Well, I don't like to tell you this, but the truth is that in this world, because there is brokenness, because there is suffering, there will be pain ahead. The loss of a loved one, the loss of our health. So what can we do in that moment? Well, this psalm gives us a great resource when we're going through those dark times. What is going on then in David's mind? Well, first, he feels forgotten. He feels forgotten. Verse 1 says this, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Here is David. He's the great shepherd king of Israel, and yet he has been struck down. He's feeling this 
period or going through this period of deep, dark blackness. I think for many of us today, we can have this idea sometimes that we can insulate ourselves from the problems of life. That if we just get that relationship that we're longing for, if we just get that job that we're hoping that we'll get, if we have a steady enough bank balance, well then we will, if not have a perfect life, we'll be able to insulate ourselves from most of life's problems. But here is David, unrivaled in Israel in terms of his wealth, unrivaled in Israel in terms of his power and his status, and he is going through this deep psychological distress. This psalm is for the person who feels that their suffering has no end in sight. Because you'll notice that question that David has pops up again and again four times in the ESV. We find this phrase, how long, O Lord, how long? So it's not just a bad day that David is having, not just a bad week, but he's in the midst of this deep, dark, chronic suffering. So if time flies when we're having fun, well then the opposite is also true. It seems to slow down whenever we go through pain. Now, David doesn't believe that God has literally forgotten him, like he's forgotten where he put the car keys. No, David knows his Bible. He knows that God knows absolutely everything. After all, this is the same David who says these words in Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. Now, he knows that God knows absolutely everything, but what David is feeling in that moment is that God is neglecting him, that God has intentionally, for whatever reason, God has intentionally forgotten about him. And that kind of darkness, sadly, it's not unique to David. Many Christians can testify to that experience of feeling low or feeling forgotten by God. Sharon Hastings is a doctor from Newtonard. She's the author of a book called Wrestling With My Thoughts. And in that book, she discusses her battle with depression and anorexia. And in one part of the book, she says this. She's in conversation with her psychiatrist, and she says these words. I feel sad all the time for no reason. It's like I'm surrounded by blackness. I like music normally, but it feels as though the symphonies have lost their color. Every note sounds the same. I've stopped praying, stopped playing worship music, stopped engaging with Christian friends. I can't muster the energy or interest to read the Bible. My faith is effectively dormant. How long, O Lord? Perhaps for you, you're here this morning, and right now you can relate to Sharon's experience or to David's experience. How long, O Lord, will I have to go through this? You feel maybe as if it's difficult to pray or open up your Bible because you're waiting on a response from God, but you don't seem to be getting it. So is David right? What is the truth in David's case? Has God actually forgotten about David? Well, no, we know that God never forgets his children. In Isaiah chapter 49, for example, God is compared to a nursing mother, verse 15 says this, can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. What Isaiah is saying here is that a mother has a natural maternal instinct for her child. She's not going to easily forget him. 
No, her heart is inextricably linked to her child. When he suffers, then she suffers. But Isaiah is saying actually that God is even more caring and compassionate than even the most caring mother. Mothers are not infallible. They're not perfect. They can't be thinking about their children every single moment of the day. But God is that compassionate, caring figure. Whilst David might feel like God has forgotten him, the reality is that God is caring for him, even when he feels like the opposite is true. And if there is nothing else that we take from this passage today, let it be this, that God is caring for you and for me, even when we feel like the opposite is true. And we'll see that more later on. But verse two, we continue on. David says this, how long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? The NIV quite helpfully puts it like this, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? And the sense of it really is this, Lord, how long am I going to have to put up with myself? Lord, there is this stream of consciousness. My heart is giving me this advice and this counsel. These thoughts are popping up, and I have to be honest, they're not all good. And what David is doing here is deeply countercultural. You see, our culture will say, whatever you feel is real. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart. And what David is doing is he's wrestling with himself. So if giving in to sinful desires feels good, the world will say, give in to those desires. If you feel like God has completely abandoned you, well, then that is the case. If you feel like God has prospered everyone else around you in your life, but he's neglecting you, well, then that is true. But David is doing the right thing here. He's wrestling with his thoughts. He does it even more so, as we'll see by the end of the psalm. But even here, he's not letting his feelings dictate his reality. This is what the pastor, Martin Lloyd-Jones, spoke about when he said this, this idea of preaching to yourself. He said, the main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself. In other words, we can't rely on our inner voice to lead us or to guide us because that will so very often lead us astray. If our feelings are telling us things that are contrary to God's word, well, we have to wrestle with them. David says, Lord, you've forgotten me, but actually it isn't true. And yet, at this stage, he feels like it's true. He's saying, how long, Lord, will I have to go on like this? Day after day, he has sorrow in his heart. So let's look second at the reason why he's feeling forgotten. It's because he's facing suffering. Verse 2 continues, how long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. So David feels like his enemies are winning. They are defeating him. They are threatening to overcome him. Verse 4 tells us he's concerned that if God doesn't help him, that his opponents will have an excuse to mock him and also, by application, to mock God. Look at David. He seems so strong. He's meant to be the king of Israel. God is meant to be on his side. And yet, look at him. He's pathetic. By implication, his God is powerless. 
You see verse three, he says, consider and answer me, O Lord my God. The sense from David here in this section is this, Lord, my enemies are against me, but in one sense I would expect others to attack me, especially my enemies, but what about you, Lord? I thought I could trust you, and yet you seem to have forgotten me. Verse three, answer me, O Lord. You can hear the desperation in his voice, can't you? Now, we don't know who these enemies are. We're not told. It's not like in Psalm 3 where we're explicitly told that David is facing the threat of his own son, Absalom. He's fleeing from him because he wants to take his life. Maybe the threat here is Absalom. Maybe it is Saul, who also tried to kill David many times. Maybe it's one of the enemy nations of Israel, the Philistines, for example. We just don't know. But actually, in the end, it doesn't really matter. Because the big threat that David faces is one that we can all relate to. Look again at verse 3. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. I wonder this morning if you have ever felt that. Lord, life is so difficult that I feel as if I'm on the edge. Whether through physical or mental illness, Lord, I don't know if I can go on. Undoubtedly, we'll probably never face this very specific kind of danger this political enemy who wants to overtake David and take his position. And yet, we can still face betrayal, can't we? We can face isolation, relational pain, friends who we thought we could trust, and yet they betray us. People who mock us, who want to see us fail. But actually, even more than that, just the feeling that whilst other people might be against us, the one person who we thought we could trust God himself, well, he seems to be silent as well. David feels isolated. Now notice again that he says, give light to my eyes. He doesn't say, Lord, deliver me from my enemies. That's the thing he says in Psalm 3. In other words, Lord, change my circumstances, take away that threat that I'm facing right here and right now. He doesn't say that here, but he says, give light to my eyes. In other words, he's saying, Lord, I'm going through this period of darkness, and what I need is more of you. What I need is more of your presence with me in that darkness. I don't think it's a coincidence that whenever uh, people are going through periods of distress, they often refer to it as being in a dark place. The Bible speaks about light, and usually it's referring to spiritual lightness and darkness, but there's also space for that idea of emotional darkness, and that is where David is. But instead of saying, Lord, take that thing away from me, he's saying, Lord, please give me more of you, more of your light in the midst of this. I wonder this morning, have you ever been there? Have you ever walked in David's shoes? Now, the solution, as we'll see, it's coming, it's towards the end of the psalm. But before we get to that, actually, I think there's a couple of things that we can learn from David and the way that he's voicing his concerns to God. Two things. The first one is, be honest with God. Be honest with God. I don't know about you, but I actually find it very comforting that this psalm is in the Bible. I find it comforting that Whenever the editor of the Psalter, whoever that was, when he was putting together all of the different Psalms and putting it into the Bible, he didn't look at Psalm 13 and say, do you know what? 
this isn't theologically accurate. I've spoken to the Bible college professor, and he says God never actually forgets people, and so what David says isn't true, let's throw it out. In fact, many of the Psalms you'd have to leave out if that were the case. I find it really comforting that this Psalm is here for us as a model for our prayers when we're going through times like what David faced. To be able to say, God, I want to cry out to you because I'm in deep, deep distress. It feels like I'm forgotten. You see, it's a great tragedy, actually, whenever we feel this way, but we feel like we can't bring it to God because somehow we think it's unspiritual. I feel forgotten, but I don't want to bring it to God because I know that he is God. No, actually, we need to be honest, don't we? It's not unspiritual law. In fact, it's the opposite. The people who we share our rawest emotions with are those people who we're closest to, aren't they? A spouse, our parents, maybe a best friend. Those are the people who we feel like we can open up with. And so when David is expressing all of this, what he's really saying is, God, I don't feel like I'm close to you right now, but he has that relationship with him. Don't bottle it up. Don't live in denial because that will just lead to resentment. Bring your cries to God. Be honest. The second thing is be aware. Be aware that your suffering can distort your perspective. You see, suffering is a little bit like going through a hall of mirrors in a funfair. It can distort our perception of ourselves and our situation. And so it's probably not the best time to make any major life decisions. If we're thinking about maybe changing a job, moving, moving a church, probably not the best time to make that decision. It can distort our perspective. And so the good thing, the better thing is to speak to other trusted godly people who can speak into our lives and give us that sense of perspective. So does David leave it there? Does he leave his cries with God in the midst of his pain? Is that the end? No, he doesn't. Thankfully, he doesn't stay there because thirdly, he finds joy. In verse five, he says this, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I'm going through this pain. I'm feeling this deep distress. But, however, nevertheless, I trust in your steadfast love. And what that really signifies here from David, that little word, very powerful word, but it signifies that there is a different perspective available. You see, for many of us, when we go through suffering, it can feel all-consuming, can't it? It can feel like it's the totality of our experience, that there's nothing else in sight. And yet what David is saying is, no, there is a different path. He comes to a crossroads, And he sees that he could either hold on to just that one perspective, that suffering, or he can choose to rejoice in God. He's making that active choice, not denying his problems, but not being a prisoner to them. He is, as Martin Lloyd-Jones would say, he is taking himself in hand. He's preaching to himself and reminding himself of God's goodness. And what's really noticeable here is that David's circumstances haven't changed. 
It's not that he says, thank you, God, you've taken away the threat of my enemies, and therefore I will praise you. No, he says, God, even in the midst of that, I will rejoice. Look at verse 5, my heart rejoices in your salvation. And so he's focusing not on his suffering, but on his Savior. Verse 6, he says, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I have to say, I find this part of the passage really startling. You see, it's one thing, isn't it, to, when we go through periods of pain, to have a kind of stiff upper lip, to be stoic in the face of suffering, to just grit our teeth and get on with it. That's what we might expect from David. But instead of just having a stiff upper lip, what he has instead are lips of rejoicing. He sings a song of praise to God. Rejoicing, it's actually a great antidote to bitterness, isn't it? That's a big temptation when we're going through suffering. Last summer, my wife Lauren and I, we had an appointment at the Royal Victoria Hospital. It was a 12-week scan as Lauren was in the early stages of pregnancy. And so we got to the hospital, we spent a few moments in the waiting room, and then we were called into the scan room. And as the nurse started to do the scan, there was a moment of silence, and eventually she said, there's no heartbeat, I'm sorry. And that was a moment where it felt like the mountains crashed into the sea. Everything that seemed so solid was now crashing down. Well, immediately after the scan, the midwife took us into a side room. She was really sympathetic. She did a wonderful job of caring for Lauren and I. But as we left the hospital, I remember seeing a few other couples. I remember very well seeing one expectant mother clutching one of those green folders that tells you of the progress of your pregnancy. And I remember distinctly thinking, Lord, why have you blessed other people and not us? It can be all too tempting, can't it, when faced with hard times, to forget God and to become bitter. And as I wrestled with that sense of heartbreak and disappointment, I had to get to that point of praising God. And so on that day, Lauren and I, we read Psalm 23 together, and I noted these words in my journal. I know that God is good. I know that his love never changes, that whilst we walk through this dark valley, he is our good heavenly father who protects us and cares for us. It's a terribly sad day, but this truth remains. Now, I could not have written that in my own strength. My strength was left behind, shattered in the scan room. But the Holy Spirit is the one who strengthens us, who gives us his comfort and his peace, and the truth, even in the midst of darkness. So why is singing praise to God not going too far? Well, it's because whatever our feelings, the facts are wonderful. Because through Christ, we are chosen and we're born again into a living hope. We're forgiven and restored. Through Christ, we have a fantastic future in store for us. And so God is good all of the time. Even when the clouds shroud the sun, it doesn't mean the sun is not there. He is always good. And so for David, instead of this vicious cycle downwards into despair, what we have is this virtuous cycle upwards, looking up to God. God, you are my refuge. God, I will rejoice in your salvation. Earlier I mentioned a bit of Sharon Hastings' story. This woman 
who felt like the symphonies had lost their color. Well, what happened to her in the end? Did she stay in that place? Well, no, thankfully, surely, uh, slowly but surely, she uh, wonderfully found release and relief from God. And a big part of that path back to God happened when she opened her Bible to Psalm 13, because in Psalm 13, she found a fellow sufferer in David. Towards the end of her book, she quotes this psalm as a source of strength, and she said these words. When I fall into the pit of depression and my thoughts are disorganized and psychotic, God is there. I am his, I am held, even then, even there. Now, I want to be really clear that God does not promise to all of us an end to to mental illness in this life. Sharon still lives with her condition, and yet, what an amazing testimony of hope and of God's grace. Because ultimately, whatever suffering that we go through, we have this sympathetic high priest, Jesus Christ, who went through the worst form of suffering imaginable, facing God's wrath, and he did that for us. Because on the cross, Jesus faced the betrayal, the rejection of his friends, so that we could become friends with God. On the cross, Jesus faced the mockery and the persecution of his enemies who spat at him, who killed him, so that we could be reconciled to God. And on the cross, Jesus himself said, my God, why have you forsaken me? So that we wouldn't be forsaken by God, so that we could be forgiven and accepted forever. You see why this is so worth rejoicing and singing about? God doesn't spare us, of course, from all pain, but he does understand our pain, and he's always there with us. As we close, I want to leave you with these words from William Cowper. He was a famous hymn writer and poet, and he dealt with severe depression from his childhood, really through into his adult life, and yet he was able to write these words in one of his hymns. He said, you fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break in blessing on your heads. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. God is good. His love is unfailing, even then, even there. Let's pray.